11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutcher joining me today. Greg, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I'm over here during that intro music doing what the young people do, raising the roof. <laughs> Isn't that what young people do, guys? So, uh, so, so I've been told. Yeah. Young people in Not 1991. Not by young people. <laughs> right. yeah. In 1991, they were young. By other 45-year-old men, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But. Yes. Just That's mixing funny. it up on a – we're recording this on a rainy Monday morning, so yes. adding a little splash. That's right. Um, and speaking of splash, Greg, yes. talk about our latest sponsor, Olive Tree. Olive Tree Software. Check them out. We've been talking about them now for several months. Uh, again, I use them now every week, really do, uh, usually in my sermon prep. Uh, just the integration is what I want to talk about today. To find one place that you can pull up on your iPhone or your Android, your MacBook – I won't mention other laptops because they're inferior. Uh, and pull them up, uh, and you get everything you could ever need. Commentaries, maps, devotional readings, uh, concordance, encyclopedias. Uh, I've been using them now for some time. Just an uh, ever-expanding library of products from everything you could, uh, you could use to benefit yourself in your uh, time of the word. And, of course, if you use our special promo code SUSTAIN, mm. the word SUSTAIN, you will get 20% off. My father just bought something and used it nice. with our special promo code. He was hoping because he was my dad he'd get 25%. <laughs> and I said, Dad, we don't get 25%. So uh, 20% is a great, great discount. Yeah, that's great. So I uh, hope people will use it and benefit from it. That's awesome. great. Um, and then welcoming back Matt Smith. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I think the last time we had you on was what, our live? It was the, oh, yes. <laughs> it was the epic live podcast. That was and most, it was epic. That was the most cutting-edge technological <laughs> production we've ever done. I think that may have hindered me from coming back. I don't yes. Know. <laughs> yes. That's one where I feel like Dave Shive walked out palpably angry. Uh, and basically, we didn't talk about anything. We were what was up with all the technical stuff? Yeah. So, Dave, that's why I noticed you haven't been uh, invited back. Wait, Nate, was I was I not supposed to say that? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. I, oh, I just wrong. I thought I was thinking it. Yes. <laughs> anyway, yes. it's out there. Uh, that's funny. Um, and we want to get right to our guest because we're so excited. Sam Alberry. Sam, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, Sam, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, friends, family, what you do over there in England. We've got you calling all the way over from England, so if we have uh, any technical difficulties, we're going to blame it on that because <laughs> we don't want to take responsibility <laughs> that's for it. Right. So uh, go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to, good to be with you guys. Um, so I, I'm based in the UK. I work for uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. I'm also an uh, ordained pastor in the Church of England, and I also work with the Gospel Coalition as a, an editor and writer. Hmm. That's great. Very cool. Um, and Sam, you, um, you have a unique ministry uh, over there with Ravi Zacharias. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I, I do all sorts of things. Really. I mean, gen general apologetics, but one of the main areas uh, I've been working on is the whole issue of sexual identity um, homosexuality, gender, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And so we want to um, really just dedicate as much of the podcast as we can to that topic. So yeah. I'm going to just um, throw it right over to Greg to start us off. Yeah, Sam, again, thank you for, uh, for being with us today. And before we sort of went on air here, so to speak, today, we were 
Matt and I were talking about uh, your book, we do want to mention to our listeners uh, just a helpful book. It's a short, punchy, yep. just well-written book, and it really is a labor of love for the church that you've done called Is God Anti-Gay? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can tell there's obviously an apologetic aspect to the book itself because that is a common question that is asked, uh, not exclusively by non-Christians, obviously uh, many Christians have questions about the, these important issues as well. Um, and before I, I ask you something, Sam, I'm trying to set the stage here just to let you know I'm, I'm a uh, pastor here in, uh, in the state of Maryland, as is our mutual friend Matt Smith here. Matt's actually the guy that God used to lead me to Christ, and um, little did Matt know that that would mean spending eternity with me. He, he, oh, man. I know. <laughs> what was I thinking? Sometimes it's like, wait a minute, what was I doing? Heaven's a big place, bro. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, many spaces to, uh, to separate, but... Matt, uh, pastors close by, I've never given a, a whole sermon on this subject. It's come up in sermons, sometimes by way of application, in terms of how the church can minister uh, to those in a same-sex context, uh, uh, those that uh, struggle with same-sex um, attraction, or are just committed to a homosexual lifestyle. Uh, it's come up applicationally. So watch, Sam, how I do this little uh, pull the rabbit out of the hat and dodge asking the first question. Because, Matt, you have preached. <laughs> have you not? Twice? Yeah, I've done two. I thought you did two sermons. I've done two full messages, sermons, whatever you want to call them, um, with the whole congregation, which obviously could go on the sermon podcast. Um, yes. The last one I did, um, I think I called it homophobia with a question mark. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think as a pastor, this is such a, a significant issue. Um, obviously, it's culturally, it's a hot potato. Um, and I just think that God's people often um, are not totally sure what to make of it. And so they end up either just saying, well, it doesn't really matter because in the name of love and compassion, you know, or they... Um, they, I think they make some unfortunate errors in mm-hmm. how they present and talk about these issues that I don't think really reflect the heart of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of my desire to, to, to attempt. And Sam, I just want to say, uh, in both those messages, uh, your book, I highly promoted yeah. uh, <laughs> and just encouraged. Because I, I, what I loved about it was, uh, one, it was as a pastor just kind of thinking through those things. I found it really helpful, so thank you. Um, and second of all, I just I knew it. it you made it... It was something that if people were really interested in uh, beginning this conversation, it was just such a simple book for them to pick up and process. And it was written in such a, I think, a winsome way yes, it was. Uh, that regardless of where you're at and coming in, you, you just had a way of disarming people, but really kind of helping them lean into the truth a little bit. So thank you just uh, as one little pastor in the States for uh, your contribution to other pastors, the, the larger body of the Christ, body of Christ, as well as you know the church actually reaching out to our culture. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, Sam, so that's that's a little stage setting Matt and I have done uh, to uh, show you why we were really interested in having you on um, this podcast to talk about this subject. And Sam, just to get right to it. I think, as Matt said, one of the disarming things, uh, and I mean that in a good way about your book, that really helps people, I think, take it in, is this might not be the best term, 
but I think you'll get what I'm saying. There's a street credit, uh, as we would say. I don't know. Is that is that a UK term, by the way? Street credit. Yeah, I think it was about 10 years ago. Greg is so hip. It doesn't matter what country he's talking about. We got raising the roof. Street credit. Soon I'm going to start saying not uh, and and things like that. But, Sam, you open the book in such an honest and vulnerable way about your own experience uh, and could you start us off there in, in uh, telling our audience, telling us um, what you learned about yourself as you were a young man growing up? Yeah, so, I mean, I think a lot of teenagers were experienced a certain amount of confusion about who they are and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But certainly as I was, was growing up, and particularly as a, as a teenager, I was very gradually becoming aware of feelings of, of homosexual attraction I wasn't a Christian at the time, and I, I didn't really have a category in which to put those feelings because this was 20, 25 years ago. The issue of homosexuality just was not on the radar right. in the way that it is now. And so it wasn't the obvious go-to place for me to think, oh, this is, must be what, what I am and what's going on. But I, I did become aware of, of those feelings, and uh, it took me a, a little bit of time, but I eventually kind of came to terms with the fact that they, those were feelings of homosexuality uh, that I was experiencing. And it was around that time I actually then ended up becoming a Christian. Wow. When, when did you feel, um, Sam, you could, you could talk about this with someone? Was there someone in your life you thought, I can trust this person, share this with them? Uh, not for a long time, no. I, I, I felt too... I, I was still struggling to understand it myself. I, I desperately didn't want it to be true. And again, 25 years ago, it didn't feel like a safe issue to raise anyway. And as a new Christian, I, I was also feeling as though this isn't something Christians are meant to feel. And therefore, you know, I might be letting the side down. People might not want to know me anymore if I, if I share that I have these feelings. Yeah. So it took me a good four or five years before I actually even more than that, five or six years before I, I started to share it with just one or two people. And by that stage, I was feeling pretty desperate about the whole situation, realized that I I couldn't handle this issue on my own. I really needed other people to be to know about it and to, to support and pray and help as well. But it took a long time. Yes. Um, Sam, this is Nathan. Just um, setting the stage a little bit. You nuance the terms same-sex attraction and gay. Could you give us a, a brief definition? So as we go throughout this and we start using those terms, people will understand what we're talking about. Sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm conscious different terms mean different things in different settings and they're, they're kind of constantly moving targets. But certainly... Uh, where I come from, generally, if someone says they're gay, they're saying a bit more than just that they have homosexual feelings. They they tend to mean by the word gay that this is this is the main thing about them. This is their identity. It's mm-hmm. it's who they are. It's a matter of ontology. And that that is not the case for me. So I, I tend to use the language of, of same sex attraction. It's it's not very elegant or pithy, but it's <laughs> it at least. Yeah, it says as much as I wanted to say without saying more than that. It, it's part of what I feel. It's not who I am. Yes, yeah, Sam. I had um, about two summers ago uh, a father 
uh, who is not a part of our church, but I've known him throughout the years. He has a, uh, at the time, a uh, late teenage, early 20s son who had um, uh, very recently at that time shared with his father uh, that he had these same desires. He was uh, at the time engaged, um, finally felt that he could uh, no longer um, sort of live what he felt was a duplicitous life, uh, not sharing this with his fiancée. He finally did. They they broke up. It was a very trying time. And um, <clears throat> I uh, talked to the father a few times, and eventually I met with the father and the son. And this young man... Uh, who's a wonderful young man, loves the Lord, has struggled with this, he thinks, since he was an early teenager. Uh, I asked him, I'll, I'll call him, you know, Bill. You know, I, I said, Bill, um, did, you, uh, did you ever talk about this with anybody in your church? And he said to me, Pastor Greg, honestly, and, and he wasn't saying this in a jaded manner, it was just his honest reaction. He goes, the last place mm. that I would ever talk about this with anybody is the church, hmm. which, which was a, a, a stinging, uh, you know, uh, uh, sensation that they had sitting with talking to this young man who was so desperate for conversation, for help, for support and encouragement. And just using that as sort of my, my platform is, is that something you ever struggled with as a young believer in the church? Like, oh, I, I couldn't share that here. Some of that might depend on your own church culture, so could you comment on that personally and maybe expand it to observations you have of the church in a larger setting? Yeah, I, I think it was certainly true for me 20 years ago and and maybe even 10 or 15 years ago. Um, I think one of the things that has changed that has been good is that we are much more able to talk about this issue in, inside of church than we used to be. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure there are still churches where it's an it's a very much a taboo issue. It's something you don't talk about. It it would be regarded as unseemly. Or there are still some churches that think if you're a Christian, you don't ever have these feelings anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but I think by and large, we're I mean we've had to learn to talk about it because it's been such a big issue in our culture. But I think as well, we're I, I've spoken to so many pastors who are now far more aware than they used to be that this is a pastoral issue and not just a political one. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that has changed in the last 10 or 15 years. I've had a number of Christian leaders from various denominational backgrounds. I've, I've heard say things along the lines of we've we kind of wasted the last 10 or 15 years on this issue by just treating this issue as a, as a political football to kick around mm -hmm. rather than addressing it pastorally and kind of getting our own house in order. Yeah. So I hope it's becoming rarer for someone to think the last place I, I could ever mention this is church. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I guess related to that, Sam is, um, and I think I know your answer to this, but I'd, I'd like to really get your thoughts on this subject. Do you feel that deliverance from, uh, same-sex attraction urges impulses is guaranteed in the gospel in this lifetime? No, mm -hmm. no, I, I don't see that in scripture. Yeah. Um, what I see in scripture is a, a couple of things. I see that we're, we're promised that God will help us to stand up mm -hmm. faithfully under temptation. 
I don't see the promise that temptation will be removed. Yes. And the other thing I see promised is that there is a change that is promised, but it's it's not necessarily the change that you'll become more heterosexual. Mm-hmm. But there is a change that there is a change promised that you'll become more Christ-like. Mm-hmm. And so it may be that my sexual feelings don't change, but I I hope what does change is is how I respond to them, and my my overall Christian character. Well, Sam, thank That's you. So I mean yeah. that is. So helpful because mm-hmm. I think, and I don't know if you felt this, Matt, as, as a younger pastor, I've realized as I was in ministry, I, I did not have a fully formed sense of what the gospel promised. So mm-hmm. years ago, I might talk to somebody and it was almost that the, it wasn't always stated. It was implied. It was implied. Yeah. That, okay, well, let's keep praying so that you can, and I'm going to use the crass phrase, quote, get the gay out, unquote. Uh, you know, which I've heard people actually use. Uh, and so I, I think uh, the natural follow-up, uh, Sam, on, on that one for you is, I, I probably know, but your thoughts on ministries that are, again, get the gay out camps, because I've actually in the past year, uh, a few years had two different sets of parents ask me, they've given me some literature about these mm-hmm. kinds of camps, retreats, mm-hmm centers that you could send their son or daughter to that would fix them, fix them yeah. so to speak. And it just, I think I know, but again, your, your thoughts on that and the potential dangers of that kind of approach. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're not all the same, but the, certainly the ones that I've come across, I think firstly, they, they assume it must be a developmental issue that can be rectified. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I, I know of cases where there are very clear and obvious developmental factors. Mm-hmm. I've met so many people who are same-sex attracted who there's not been a childhood trauma, there's not been a difficult relationship with a parent. There's nothing you can pin it down on and therefore counsel out of them. Yes. So I think that's that's one wrong assumption. And I think the other one, possibly even more serious, is is the assumption that the general heterosexuality is the goal of the Christian life mm-hmm. or that heterosexual marriage is the goal of the Christian life. Yeah. And so it, some of these ministries feel a little bit as though it's heterosexuality or bust yes in some cases i've 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 heard of same-sex attracted christians being encouraged to look at pornographic material that is heterosexual to try and awaken those desires and you just sort of think there are so many things wrong with that yes Yes. <laughs> yes. Better to be ungodly in this area than to be trying to be chaste and faithful as a same-sex attractive person. I just think we've 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 muddled up holiness and heterosexuality mm. in a very unhealthy way. Mm. Uh, as far as I as far as I can see, I don't see the Bible telling me that I should be attracted to lots of people of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. I see the Bible saying to me I should be faithful to and, and sexually satisfied by my spouse if I'm married mm-hmm. and chaste and godly if I'm not. Mm. So this idea, if you can if you can make someone feel feelings of sexual attraction and lust to lots of people of the other, other sex, I don't see that as a win mm-hmm. because you've, you've just swapped one kind of sexual battle for another. Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's well said. Well said. Well said. So, Sam, what um... – you know, because obviously I know you you speak around and and you know write blogs and obviously a book and all that. Um, 
What what is your greatest encouragement? Would you say to pastors who who I know have um, young people, older people, uh, both men and women that that you know have same sex attraction? Uh, some have uh, shared and and you know expressed that uh, issue and struggle. Others are just kind of downplaying it. Um, what kind of encouragement would you give to pastors? Um, to make connections, to create a, a safe context within the community of, of the house of God where people can begin to uh, confide in somebody, but also um, get the biblical counsel and help that they need not to quote-unquote fix them or deliver them, but to help them uh, discover that their identity is in Christ and to grow in that um, as, as God would help them. So what kind of encouragement would you give to a pastor? I think probably the, the starting place is to try and create a culture within the church that recognizes that all of us are broken mm. and that that brokenness includes sexual brokenness of one kind or another. Mm. In other words, I think we need to do as much as we can to normalize the issue and say this is just one type of what all of us have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons we've we've struggled as a as a wider Christian community to know what to do with homosexuality is we've we've abstracted it out of our regular gospel framework, yeah. put it on its own, and then we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what it means or so I think it's good just to kind of try to show within our church family all of us are broken, all of us have disordered sexual desires, uh, all of us are attracted to things we shouldn't be. Mm. Some of us find that in a in a opposite sex heterosexual kind of way some of us experience that in a, in a same-sex homosexual kind of way mm-hmm. but in one in the most important sense we're all in the same boat and therefore whatever your particular struggle with sexual temptation is it's great to have someone else who understands that who can be praying for you uh, someone else who knows so i think that helps if we try and make it feel less freakish mm-hmm. an issue than mm-hmm. yeah that's good past. yeah and another key thing is as as pastors, and I, I say this as a pastor myself, often our, our our kind of gut reaction is to any situation, what do I need to say, what do I need to teach? Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that makes an enormous difference on this issue is spending a good amount of time actually just listening to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly experiences of, of same-sex attraction can vary tremendously from one person to another. But often... But for a lot of the, the guys I know who've, who've struggled with this issue as Christians, 70 or 80 percent of what they needed was a listening ear. They mm-hmm. knew in their head what the Bible said. They knew they knew it was a sin. Interesting. They knew it was something that, that you know, wasn't part of how God created them to be. It's just the relief of having someone who can listen to that, who's not phased by it. And, and so we mustn't sort of I remember telling one friend of mine who was training to be a pastor about my my struggles quite early on in the process of telling people and the very even before I got half a sentence out he said well you just need to repent as if that was the end of the story and I that was that was the last thing I needed to be reminded of I knew I needed to repent but it was Mm. it's having someone who can say you know it's okay to be a Christian and fight this particular battle yeah Mm. Um, and that assurance actually is what particularly a lot of younger Christian believers need on this more than anything else, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so listening helps us get a sense of where someone is at, 
on this issue, whether they have thought about it already biblically or not. It gives us a sense of um, whether, you know, what what kind of distress this issue may be causing them, whether they need the encouragement and balm of the gospel or whether they need a bit of a challenge or accountability. But actually, we need to get someone's story out, I think, before we can make those kinds of pastoral judgments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's... That's what my wife always encourages me. Listen, listen, because you know preachers want to preach, and <laughs> yeah. pastors exactly. love to I mean, talk. Yeah. You know, yeah. as someone is talking, we're we're mentally pulling things out of the filing cabinet that we can. Yeah, have. exactly. Yes. Yes. There's yeah. a there's a lovely old man in my church who who kind of gets alongside troubled folks and helps them. And I remember him saying to me once, "Oh, I've got this young lad coming around tonight who's in a right mess, and I'm going to give him a thoroughly good listening to." Oh, oh, that's no. a great phrase. Yeah, that's a great phrase. Oh, that's very good. So in your own experience, um, I'd love to just kind of hear uh, in terms of, because there's people that I know, you know, that at times, and some of these have been people in, in, in the congregation that I have the privilege to be a part of and pastor, that have opened up, have maybe in, in a smaller group setting that they felt safe enough to just to kind of share where they're at so that, you know, they've kind of let people know this is kind of the deal. Um, and I think they've, they've told me, you know, the group was, or the, you know, the, the friends were very, they, they did listen and maybe they were quiet because they didn't, they were so awkward and mm-hmm. didn't know what to say. Sure. Um, but what hurt them, they communicated, was that no one ever followed up or it was kind of like, okay, you shared that. Well, let's never go there anymore. And I was just curious, you know, especially when you first kind of maybe confided in, in sharing with some people, what was your experience and what were the things that people, how they responded, things they said or didn't say that you found not helpful that we might be able to benefit mm. from that? Well, I'm I'm very thankful that actually – in the vast majority of cases, people were extremely helpful. Mm. Um, so I think there, there are two mistakes we can make. One is the one you've mentioned of, oh, my goodness, let's not bring this up ever again. That's awful. Yeah. Um, which is just horrible because someone's just disclosed something very, very personal. They, they, they were probably feeling nervous about doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's just left hanging there. And, and they don't know if that's been well received or how people are regarding yeah. them there. If it's just made everything weird and awkward that's going to make it a ton harder for them to ever share it again. They're just going yeah. to think this is obviously not for mm. ever talking about. The other mistake is that you it's the only thing you then talk to that person about. Oh, yeah. And if, if one mistake is never bringing it up, the other mistake is always bringing it up, mm. as if this is now the lens through which I see you mm. is your same-sex attraction. Mm. So we, we had a good rebuke at our, our church. Um, yeah. One of my pastor colleagues was – talking to one of our, our church members who's, who's same-sex attracted and, and said to him, how's, how's your same-sex attraction going? And this church member turned around and said to him, you do know that's not the only thing I struggle with, David. <laughs> wow, and yeah. And he said, actually, yeah. you know, I, he said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a boss and I'm being a really aggressive, unpleasant boss at the moment. I know I am. <laughs> but you never asked me about that. You only ever asked me about my same-sex attraction. And that, that was a... A rebuke given to one of my colleagues, but actually all of us needed to hear it because it's mm. very easy when someone shares an issue like that to think, to see them through the lens of it. And obviously part of our theology is that this doesn't define you. Yes. Right, yes. And yes. so we mustn't undermine that theology by behaviorally assuming it does. 
Yeah, Sam, uh, that's one of the points you raise in your book that I was hoping you could, again, for the benefit of our audience, expand upon a bit. Just that that wonderful, and you've you've mentioned it several times, uh, observation that personhood should not be equated with sexuality. Mm. But that is, it, it, subtly, it is the spirit of the age, it seems, yeah. that personhood is so tied into sexual identity. And just from a believing perspective, a biblical perspective, could you comment uh, for all of us, um, what, w- where does personhood come from? How should it be um, couched, defined from a Christian perspective? Thank you. So I, I think it's one of the areas where our, our culture is doing a huge amount of damage unwittingly in, in many cases. But this idea that what most defines you is your sexuality and that in culture's mind means the sexual feelings that you have, that is that is just hugely damaging hmm. uh, because it, it implies that it's, it's only going to be the fulfillment of your sexuality that will make you whole and complete as a person. Yeah. So that's, that's intrinsic to fulfilling your humanity. Hmm. And that, that is bad news for so many people because there are a lot of people who aren't having the kind of sexual fulfillment they long for and feel as though they're missing the whole purpose and meaning of their life. Mm-hmm. And frankly, there's another group of people who are having the kind of sex they want to have, but they're not feeling as though that is making life feel complete. Yes. Mm. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deeply cruel anthropology. Yes. And therefore, it's an area where we, we just have such good and liberating news. And so for, for us as Christians, the most... The most obvious thing we should be thinking in the light of that kind of anthropology is, is well, hang on a sec. Jesus was single. Jesus was celibate. Mm. And yet Jesus was the most complete and fully human person who ever walked on the planet. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we mustn't think. And this is this is, a, I think, a, a really needed message in the church today. We mustn't think either sexual fulfillment or romantic fulfillment or marriage is the thing that is intrinsic to making my life feel complete. Yes. I think we've we've kind of Christianized what culture says by turning sexuality and sexual fulfillment into into Christian marriage. Well, that's great. And I think the problem in a lot of our churches is that we've we've made Christian marriage the goal of being a Christian. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful thing, and it's a it's a, a noble and and we have a uniquely high view of marriage as Christians. But the whole purpose of marriage is to point beyond itself. Mm. It is not in itself ultimate. It points to the ultimate marriage. Uh, it points beyond itself, and yet we, as God's people, always have done. We, we're we're very good at mistaking the model for the the reality. Yes, uh, right. the people of God did that in the Old Testament with the temple. They thought that bricks and mortar were the with a whole deal. Mm. And I think we do the same with, with, with marriage. We, we sense that it is, it is pregnant with meaning, but we, we kind of misunderstand what its meaning is and what its significance is. And we make it a, an end in itself rather than a, a means to a greater end. Yes. Yes. And so, um, I wanted to ask you in this, um, regard, you mentioned earlier that a lot of teenagers, of course, in their adolescent phase, as they're beginning to experience sexual feelings, impulses, thoughts for the first time, it's not like it comes with a uh, uh, instruction manual. 
let's be honest, a lot of kids are raised in homes where mom and dad's sort of battle cry is we never discuss it and we never talk about it. So you've got a whole. That's right. Look, we learned about it on our own. You'll find yeah, right. out well, that was that the old, kind of the old. That was sort of my parents' approach. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, well, you'll, you'll figure it out and, and all that. So here's my sense. I want to test this theory with you and uh, you, you, you tell me if, if I'm way out, please tell me. I wonder. I will. I will. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm English. We don't. We don't pass up. That. I love it. Correct. I love American. it. Of course, Yes. Yes. Well, uh, I would say um, I can't help but wonder. Maybe 30 years ago, uh, which would, would would date me in that uh, that adolescent stage. How many uh, kids uh, have confusing feelings, strange feelings? They might even have a whispering moment, like. Oh man, uh, did 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 I like being with with this guy that I was hanging out with today? And and I feel maybe thirty years ago, because homosexuality was not so culturally embraced, even I would say celebrated as it is today. Uh, it seemed like there was a sense in which a lot of kids kind of worked through those feelings uh, and eventually settled into, you know, um, I guess a more adult understanding of their sexuality. And, and I'm basing this, my daughter's at a public school, she's 17 years old, and her feeling, Sam, is that, she goes, Dad, I meet kids all the time that uh, are are gay, or they self-identify as gay, and she goes, and I'm not so sure they necessarily are, she says, but it's almost like, I wonder, did they have one thought one time, and mm. it's almost cool to be gay, so at, that's kind of, I don't even know that's a theory. That's just me thinking, freewheeling, thinking out loud. Do you think there's any truth in that? Um, where the culture is almost maybe inviting more uh, navel-gazing on the subject of sexuality today? I think I think it is a real issue, actually. Um, I've, I've met and spoken to countless people who've said they've, they've had some kind of homosexual feelings at some point during their teenage years, during their adolescent years and it was just a phase for many people mm-hmm. um obviously there are a number of people for whom those feelings have, have persisted and become become a long-term established kind of pattern of feeling but i have i've just met so many people who went through a stage of it yes as particularly as a teenager when things aren't settled down yet on that front which which just makes me a bit cautious about where culture's at because i think the, the kind of pressure now is at the moment you feel the merest twinge of, of homosexual attraction. Culture is saying to you, that's who you are. That's, that's defining of you. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to make that the big deal of, of who you are. And it might just be a passing moment. Yes. Mm. I think the other thing is because it's become such a huge issue again in our culture, I I do wonder if some people are kind of adopting uh, some of these sexual identities because it's a way of, you know, I, I can well imagine if you're a, a 14, 15 year old who's always been a bit overlooked mm-hmm. by everybody else. Yeah, yeah. This this is a way of of kind of getting yourself noticed a bit. Mm, yeah, uh, even yeah. subconsciously, in in some cases, it makes you just sound a bit more exotic and interesting than perhaps people had assumed you were. Yeah, yeah. So my fear is there, there are people jumping jumping on this bandwagon for all kinds of reasons. That, and culture is, 
again, it's just not healthy to encourage 14, 15 year olds to be deciding who they are for the rest of their life based on how they're feeling when they're 14. I mean, goodness me. The mm. things I thought and felt when I was 14, <laughs> it would have been a positive mercy just to gaffer tape me up. Yeah. <laughs> five years and wait, then wait. You know. it, it's one of the points Tim Keller makes is that when you look back at yourself 10 years ago, you think, golly, I was an idiot then. Yeah. When you look back on who you are now in 10 years' time, you'll think, golly, I was an idiot then. <laughs> And his his conclusion of that is you, you are just an idiot. <laughs> it just means we, we've got to be so careful. I, I heard of someone on the radio this morning, uh, just recently. There was a, a thing on the BBC radio, parents of a trans child, a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. And the parent was saying, so you're going to, you know, this is a, a, a boy with uh, who's now beginning to identify as a, as a woman. And the parent was saying to the child on radio, um, not just, yeah, we, we, you can be a woman, that's who you are, but are you going to be a gay woman or a straight woman or, you know, mm. and you're thinking, this is a 10-year-old yeah. Yeah. making wow. life decisions. Yeah. And, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's what, just it's Yeah, what not, used to be the, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up in 10, you know, it's like now it's what kind of sexual orientation right, are you right, deciding yeah. at 10? Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a, yeah, I, I, it was hard enough being a teenager when I was one, I'm, I can't imagine how it is now because not only have you got to pick your subjects at school, but you then got to scroll through a list of 43 sexual identities and genders and try and work out which one of those you are. Yeah. 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 It's, it's Sam just right now. um, My oldest daughter, again, we're, we're just beginning the whole college application process and you've got a son a year older, Matt. I don't know if you noticed this or stuff, but even forms are definitely reflecting. Yep cultural changes yep, absolutely. because most of the forms we have filled out for like college visits um most of them i'd say 80 percent just you know guessing said parent one parent two yep I did noticed, you notice that yep, i did i had never yep, noticed that before yep. and lisa goes oh my word they used to say mother right. or father yep. or maybe guardian right yep so there is this kind of cart before the horse cultural yep, there's yep, uh, the train is that there. is um uh going by and uh, Sam, just to, just to come back to something, because I know our time is wrapping up here, but I think it would serve so many of our audience well, and I'm sure you've had this, Matt. I've had so many parents in the church I've, I've pastored now. I've been here for 13 years, and I at least six or seven uh, uh, different parents, six or seven through the years, that have come to me at some point because their teenage son or daughter, young 20 son or daughter, mm-hmm. uh, has come out and said that they're gay. And normally, you know, I've had moms and dads in my office in tears and we, we pray together and we talk and, um, you know, so pastorally, I'm interested in your thoughts, uh, for the benefit of parents. Um, you know, and, and many of them have said, my word, I've got four children and, you know, this is my youngest one. I thought, you know, we were home free or whatever they would say. The other kids are married, et cetera. What, what, what words would you give to parents that may be? Uh, right now, finding out that their son or daughter has same-sex attraction. Yeah, and obviously we're, we're talking in very general terms, but I, I, I think uh, one of the things is is probably calm down. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and so, you know, take several deep breaths before you try and figure out what this all means and what you're going to do about it. And again. Take a lot of time to listen. As much as your child is comfortable sharing, yeah. 
which may not be very much depend you know most of us when we were 20 did not want to talk to our parents about our sexual feelings right so don't 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 press them more than they they're willing to to share but um obviously if, if a child comes out and says they're gay and by that they mean they're active in a lifestyle they're buying into the whole thing uh that's that the issue there is not their sexuality the issue there is that they're walking away from the lord mm -hmm. if they if they're coming out in the sense of saying i experience same-sex attraction but i'm i'm wanting to be a christian i'm i'm confused about the whole thing but i i do want to be a christian um that's a very different that's a very different kind of situation that that's the equivalent of, of someone sharing any particular temptation um and so i have heard of some christian parents who when their christian child has said this is an issue i'm struggling with and i want to be faithful i've heard parents kind of i think reacting in a in a very unhealthy way by kind of saying well you, i'm i'm now i'm now grieving the grandchildren i'm never going to get from you and wow. yeah. mourning the loss of you know i've been praying for your future spouse for the last 10 years mm. and again it, it it implies the default normal proper kind of setting for any christian is marriage mm -hmm. and obviously there's a lot of parents will, will want for their their children to be married and that's that's a in and of itself a, a healthy good thing to, to want your child to enjoy but we, we do need to honour the fact that the Bible says that, that marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's interesting. A friend of mine said once, you, you find out what someone's idol is, not by looking at what they most want for themselves, but at what they most want for their kids. Mm. And I think some, so sometimes, not always, but sometimes the, the parents' attitude to the, the possibility that their child may not get married actually is reflective of a little bit of idolatry mm -hmm. so it, it does depend on what the child is is meaning and, and what path they're wanting to go on but um at the end of the day if if a if a teenager says i'm struggling with homosexuality it, it's not headline news that a teenager is struggling with sexual temptation mm. yes and actually it's not it's not headline news whether that kind of temptation is is homosexual or heterosexual yeah um and so I think, obviously, if, if a child is walking away from the Lord, that is, that is a time to mourn and a time to grieve. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also a time to, to make sure you, you remain one of the people in their life that they, they most feel safe with, mm -hmm. that they can talk to, most feel loved by, and someone who will, will always listen to them. Um, so you, you must be careful not to push them further away mm. um but, but yeah I, I i think sometimes we we overreact mm -hmm. yeah. um sam real quick uh because as greg said we are we are running down on time um but because you deal with the other side of apologetics as well how do we as believers interact with the world um, who are unbelievers in this topic how are we to engage with them? Um, how can we use, uh, you know, sound biblical knowledge as well as sound, um, you know, reasonable arguments in order to engage with them in this discussion? 
Well, we, 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 we've got to do it. And I, I know a lot of Christians feel like this issue is the third rail and that they don't want to go near it. And mm-hmm. a lot of pastors think that too. Yeah. But we, we just have such good news on this whole mm-hmm. thing. And, and one of the things I think we've got to try and be better at doing than we have been is is thinking what is the whenever the Bible gives us a negative, whenever it gives us a prohibition of thou shalt not, the question we've got to ask is what is the what is the positive that that negative is protecting? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we we teach the negatives without ever mm. teaching the bigger positive that lies behind them. Yes. And so in the case of, of the Bible, sexual ethics, rather than only saying no to homosexual sex, no to cohabitation, no to sex outside of marriage and, and those kinds of things. One of the things we need to do that will make sense of those prohibitions is show people what God's vision is for, for human sexuality. Mm-hmm. And then we will quickly find that we are we are getting very quickly onto to, to gospel turf. Mm-hmm. Because actually God's vision for human sexuality is that it is to be a reflection of, of the relationship between Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. And actually, if, if we can find a way of explaining that vision, that actually God is so longing to form a people for his son, Jesus Christ, that he's put within humanity these deep sexual desires so that in their proper context, they can be a picture of the intense love that will exist between Christ and his people. Mm-hmm. Actually, not only does that make sense of what the Bible says about why marriage is between a man and a woman and why sex is only for marriage and, and those kinds of things, but actually it's showing the it's showing the, the positive that actually it's not God's not just arbitrarily finger wagging against certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but actually he is he is wanting to draw people to himself. Mm. There's a there's a, I'm gonna misquote him, I think, because I'm I'm bad at remembering how he put it. But there's a there's a Catholic theologian called Christopher West who's been uh, popularizing, I don't often quote Roman Catholics, but here we go. Uh-huh. Uh, he's been popularizing Pope John Paul II's theology of the body. And one of West's lines is that if if human marriage is a trailer for the ultimate marriage, we know all the time that in, in movie trailers, they'll always shove a bit of sex in there because if you see a bit of sex in the trailer, that will make you want to go to the movie. And West's point is God has put sex in the human trailer of marriage because it's there to make us want to be in heaven. Wow. Hmm. wow. But actually that intense desire is meant to, to, to point us to a very deeper desire, mm-hmm. the desire of our soul to be found by God and to be, to be in a relationship with him. Mm. So good. <coughs> That's great. Uh, well, again, Sam, we do um, want to be respectful of your time, but we also do want to make sure that we say we are speaking uh, to you, Sam Alberry, um, particularly um, concerning your book, Is God Anti-Gay? Um, we want to make sure that we are um, you know, sending out um, a copy of that, so we're going to go ahead and do a contest. Yep. We'll make an announcement after we wind up here about what that's going to entail. Uh, but Sam, thank you so much. This mm. has just been so, yeah. um, so great, so valuable. I know so many people um, from the church and the body are going to benefit from this. So, Absolutely. thank yeah. you so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Matt, Sam, we just rocked the Casbah across the pond. Ladies and gentlemen, you just finished listening to Sam Alberry talk about same-sex attraction. We were so excited to have him on. Such 
unique insight, such godly gospel-centered insight. Uh, and again, as we said in the podcast, we want to go ahead and give away a copy of um, his book. So if you go ahead and retweet this podcast, so we're going to put it up online. Uh, when you retweet it, we will go ahead and send you a free copy of his book, um, and we will make the announcement of the winner next week. So that will be October 11th will be the announcement of the winner. All right. Have a great day. These go to 11.